Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. everyone and welcome to a new episode of the red and buried podcast i almost forgot the name of my own podcast there that's a little bit concerning i'm frankie and today i am delighted to be joined by the wonderful hannah rischel i should have checked that that was the correct way to pronounce your name before we started is that correct well i say Rachel, but i will take anything to be honest so some people say Rachel, Rachel. <laughs> um but yeah officially i think it's Rachel, like mitchell Rachel. yeah Okay, that I mean, they all sound good. I have a similar thing. It's with Pelle, be Pelle, yeah, Pelle. It's a bit like but... that hyacinth bouquet, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> I'm happy to be Rochelle, but it's it technically ritual, I believe. Well, thank you so much for coming on. So lovely to meet you. And you. And I've got a little bit of a bio before we get stuck into the questions. I've taken most of these from the internet and various sources, so hopefully it's all accurate. Please feel free to correct me if anything's incorrect. Okay. That works for you. <laughs> I always say that as a little caveat because sometimes things are outdated, you know, time, yeah, things cool. change, people change. <laughs> okay, so Hannah Ritchell <laughs> like uh, was born in Kent and spent her childhood years in Buckinghamshire and Canada. After graduating from the University of Nottingham, she worked in book publishing and film industries in both London and Sydney. She's the author of international bestsellers, the Secrets of the Tides, The Shadow Year, The Peacock Summer and River Home. And her work has been translated into 21 languages, which is very, very cool. Her latest book, The Search Party, follows Max and Annie Kingsley, who have left the London rat race to set up a glamping site in the wilds of Cornwall. They invite old university friends, TV star Dominic, doctor and new mum Kira, and the free-spirited Jim and Suze and their children for a trial weekend but the reunion quickly veers off course. First, there's the incident, capitals on the, an incident, around the campfire on the first night. The following afternoon, a storm quickly develops off the rugged north coast. When one of their group goes missing, all hell breaks loose. And as the winds batter the bell tents, emotions run high and tensions mount for all the characters. Who is lying in hospital? Who has gone missing and who is the body on the beach below the cliffs? <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Outside of writing, Hannah currently lives in the southwest of England with her family, including a beautiful cocker spaniel named Ted. She's a dual citizen of Great Britain and Australia. And as well as being a talented writer, she's also very kind and supportive of other writers. Oh, thank you. That's a very nice introduction. <laughs> oh, I'm very glad. Was it all correct? Was I yeah, right? Yeah, you were bang on. Great. Fantastic. Strong start then. <laughs> so you have worked in writing in various facets and capacities, it sounds like, in book publishing and the film industry for a number of years. But what led you down the crime path? <laughs> well, that's an interesting one because um, you're right. I was working in publishing for quite a few years and then I jumped across and worked for Universal Pictures, which wow. is quite a different sort of industry, but still creative and still lots of fun. And I started writing when I was pregnant with my first child. and the result of that was my debut, Secrets of the Tides, which is sort of like a, a family drama with a lot of suspense running through it. And each book that I've written since then has always been a sort of suspenseful puzzle, but essentially sitting within the family drama genre. And I think with The Search Party, uh, it was a book that I started writing during lockdown. And The River Home 
which was my fourth book, had just come out during lockdown and sort of as a lot of books did at that time, you know, it sort of just sort of faded away without trace. (laughs) And I just thought as I started to write the fifth book, I wanted to really play around with the idea of creating that sort of ultimate page turner where you sort of have a reason to turn each page. And for me, that kind of led me down the path of going into the thriller world. And um, it was really the group of characters and the sort of story Mm. that they were telling me that made me suddenly realize that, okay, this might actually be a slightly different genre. So I was really nervous when I gave it to my agent, Sarah, to read. But Fortunately, she loved it and was really supportive. So it seems to be sort of where my writing is now heading, which is quite exciting. Yeah, I mean, I imagine you have evolved a lot over the years and as you've been finding your voice as a writer. Would you say that you kind of have the process down at this point? I'd like to say yes, but <laughs> I, I think each book throws up its own challenges. So I don't think I'm ever going to get to a place where you know, I can confidently say I have got this nailed, you know, the next book's going to be a breeze because there's always complications and threads that get tangled as you write. And and I'm not a particularly, I, I don't plan a lot. You know, I know there are some writers out there who do, you know, endless character sheets and have so much backstory in their heads before they even put a word down on the page. Whereas for me, I'm I'm a bit more, I like to kind of know the setting and I like to have a rough idea of the characters, but then I write my way into them and I write my way into the plot. And as long as I know roughly where I'm heading at the end, it should be all right. But no, I don't think I've got the process down yet. <laughs> Maybe there'll be a moment, but I don't know many writers that would say that they, they think they've nailed it either, to be honest. Well, I think that way, at least you, you've got room to manoeuvre, haven't you? And then whatever the type of book you're writing or the kind of story you're telling, you can adapt accordingly and with the characters and setting, like you said. Yeah, but I agree with what you said earlier about I think I'm finding my style and my voice more and more as I write. And I think that's inevitable for any writer. So hopefully I'm getting better. But who knows? <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> well, obviously, it was a very, very exciting and compelling book. So I definitely think you're on the right path, oh, if not you. already at the end point. And you said then that setting and then character, is it is that the, te- the way you tend to think about your books when you're kind of plotting? Not that you plan too much, but is it a setting that comes to mind first or specific characters or does it change from book to book for you? Generally, I think the, the commonality between my five books so far is always setting. So yeah, I that's sort of what inspires me, I think, for each story and often where each story grows from. So with this book, Cornwall, obviously, is the central setting, and it's actually just one fictional peninsula, but set in quite a real location within North Cornwall. So sort of just after St. Ives, sort of, if you know the area, it would be around about where Zena is. But I wanted to create a fictional place so that I could have free reign with, you know, the topography and how the characters are moving through the space. But I don't think, thinking back to all of my books and the process of writing them, it's almost like the the landscapes, the foundation that underpins the story. And I'm not sure I could write anything without knowing where that story is located. So central to each book is is the location. And then it's the characters that sort of drop into that landscape. And then it's what happens to them. So those are the sort of building blocks of how I, I guess the inspiration comes to me. And so do you know Cornwall very well? Is it a place you spent a lot of time or did you go there to research and fall in love with it? Or I had spent some time there and it reminds me quite a lot of the 
coastline in New South Wales in Australia, which is where I have spent a lot of time in my life. And mm-hmm. so when I moved back from Australia to the UK, I found myself really drawn to Cornwall because it was reminding me of some of those beautiful beaches down the coast from Sydney. And I sort of re-fell in love with it, even though I already knew it from my childhood. And I do find myself going back there more and more now. So it just felt completely natural to, particularly during lockdown, when I started the book, to want to revisit in my head a place that I really love. And and then the research trips actually came in a secondary way once I'd sort of got the first draft of the story down. And we were allowed to leave our houses again yeah, and that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. What a relief. <laughs> oh, my God. I, yeah, I mean... Every time I hear about the pandemic, I'm so shocked that we it actually happened. It does not sound real, does Isn't it? Isn't it strange how it just feels like mm. this other time now that we've sort of all just put in a box and and it, yeah. yeah, it's it's really weird. Yeah, this collective trauma that we're all suppressing. Yeah, <laughs> totally. As a world, totally, it's mad. Oh God. Well, you have some really beautiful. I was doing some light stalking of your Instagram earlier, um, and you have some very beautiful atmospheric photos of of that kind of landscape from when you've been visiting there. And were those kind of the photos you took to help guide you as you were writing on your second draft? Yes, definitely. So uh, one of these research trips I did, I did a long walk out across the north coast headlands, and yeah, it was just so full of inspiration. And mm. uh, one of the big sort of plot moments towards the end of the book came about because of that trip and because I literally stood on the cliffs and looked about and saw what was there on my landscape and and realised sort of a great location for a dramatic scene and points of jeopardy for all the different characters. And I think for me, that made it feel really real. So I was able to then go back and sort of enhance the layers of the book and, and hopefully create an experience for the reader that feels tangible as well. Yeah, definitely. And I was just thinking what you were saying about how it reminds you of New South Wales. I mean, temperature-wise, slightly different. <laughs> a little drama temperature, but <laughs> but the aesthetic. Aesthetically, <laughs> yes. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Climate's yeah. slightly more challenging. Mm, yeah. But that's good for this <laughs> book say that... because I needed a big storm to come in. Yes. So actually, you know, I, I, it was great because the coast changes so dramatically from one moment to the next. And, and so that backdrop again added an extra element to the story. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, the weather almost becomes another character in a lot of ways yeah. the way that it's kind of fulfilling that, that building that tension and the release of it with that storm. Exactly. There's a word, isn't there, that's sort of, you know, the when the weather's mirroring. Pathetic fallacy. Oh, yeah, there you go. You studied in English. I, I wasn't so good at I, all. <laughs> I, I wasted three years on an English degree. Oh, yes, I did. Okay. I did. <laughs> yeah, pathetic fallacy. I need to remember that. It's a yeah, it's a funny phrase, isn't it? Yeah. But no, often very, very powerful, and definitely in the case of the search party. Yes, yeah, that well. was very much like how I wanted to sort of build the atmosphere. And so funny, you mentioned Zena as well. The only other time I've ever heard Zena mentioned is in the ABC Murders by Agatha Christie, <laughs> <laughs> because I'd never heard of it before. Yeah. But is it is a beautiful place by all accounts? Then it is. It's very small, but it's beautiful, and apparently it's got a, a sort of. A massive sort of art community there or it's it's inspired oh. loads of really famous artists so I think it's quite well known in certain circles but it is tiny and um, quite remote you know it's heading out right towards Land's End so um, you are sort of getting further and further away from the sort of main main body of England. Yeah oh wow I'm definitely gonna have to have a little visit yeah. that sounds yeah, pretty you should. amazing. It's beautiful. Wow. And so with with the search party as well, as well as a beautiful setting, beautiful, atmospheric and powerful weather and all that kind of thing, you've also got these this this core set of characters. 
and the way you play with the uh, relationships between university friends and how time changes relationships. Was that something that you've personally experienced or is that just something you've observed? <laughs> it, it wasn't something inspired by my own friendships, but I think because my previous books had been centered very much around families and family dynamics, I thought it would be quite fun to go and explore that sort of different dynamic with friends, but even more fun to look at friends who've known each other through a very intense shared experience like your university years but then mm. they're actually having a reunion 20 years later and of course within those 20 years those characters have changed dramatically you know they've married had different partners had children um, had career success and career failures and they're all kind of meeting in this one place but at very different levels and and so that creates in its own way, its own tensions of, you know, there's some resentment, mm. there's secrets that need to come out from the past between the gang. Even their parenting styles are in conflict with each other. So that was what was interesting to me, to look at those dynamics between this group of people and to ask the question, really, do they even like each other still? And, you know, I think a lot of us hang on to people in our lives that perhaps, you know, maybe aren't necessarily our friends anymore. And, you know, Facebook's yeah. a, a great one for sort of throwing people back into your life that you haven't seen for years and years and years. And um, just because you shared an experience in the past, does that mean you should be friends now in the present? And I, I think that's a really interesting question. Yeah. And a very relatable experience, I think, for a lot of people, because as you say, you 20 years ago, very different to you today yeah. and if you've especially if you've not spent a lot of time with those people in that 20 years you could basically strangers at this well, point. well exactly and even actually physically i mean one of my characters remarks that you know the parent cells in our body renew every seven years so after wow. 20 years like we're actually living in completely different skins so you know i thought that was quite an interesting concept too in terms of the way they're all changing yeah, absolutely. Wow. Seven years. Yeah, of course. I don't remember that part. It might, wow, that might be okay. complete rubbish, but I thought it was <laughs> stayed with me for some reason. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it sounds very it sounds very plausible. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a biologist, but it sounds if very I say, If I say it with enough knowledge, then, you know, if I sound important enough, then maybe people will believe it. I'm convinced. <laughs> and, if, and if it's in print, then, you know, yeah, that just backs it exactly. up. Exactly. So. You've basically peered review your own <laughs> statements. Which oh, I love that. Nicely done. <laughs> so with the characters, a question I always like to ask, because I'm very curious about with this particular cast of characters, uh, if you had to be a character from one of your books, it doesn't have to be The Search Party, but if you had to be one of the characters, who would you be and why? It's such a good question. I, I'm going to choose The Search Party because it's my new book. So I think that's only fair. Sure. Unfortunately, I put them all through such a terrible weekend that it's hard yep. to choose one because they all have a really terrible time. But yep. I think I decided that I would be Annie, who is the sort of with Max, her husband. They're the couple that have set up the glamping site. So I'm yeah. saying Annie because I kind of want her lifestyle of moving to Cornwall, getting out of the rat race, living in a sort of dilapidated farmhouse and building this sort of dream project that they've got together to, to create this sort of glamping holiday destination. And I think that part's nice. Yes. So yeah. that's nice. And I think <laughs> the other nice thing about Annie is she has a really big heart and she's a big worrier, but I think fundamentally she's a really good person. So that's why I'm steering towards Annie because in the book, there are some people who probably have 
slightly less generous hearts. Yes, that's yeah. uh, to put it lightly <laughs> for now. To find out what we're talking about, you have to read it because we're not going to give any spoilers <laughs> today. But And going back to your process, which we touched on earlier, a question also I like to ask is what do you like least and most about the writing process? There's many books in, in particular. I imagine that's changed a bit too. It has. Answer. Yeah, it has. I think um, the, the kind of sweet spot for me with writing is when you hit that flow and um, you sort of forget about the external world and you're just mm. writing and the ideas are coming thick and fast and you can't get the words down on the page fast enough. So I, I love that state and it's almost like sort of meditative, I guess, because you're completely unaware of yourself at that point. And so for me, that's sort of why I write because I'm always chasing that feeling of kind of getting that flow. And when when the puzzle pieces start fitting together as well, that's really exciting. It's like, you know, little light bulbs going off in your mind. So that's the part I really love. Unfortunately, it doesn't come that often. It's actually, you know, writing a book <laughs> is such a long slog. So those moments are quite rare. But for some reason, that, that's always sort of what keeps me going. And and the less fun parts for me, I, I think, are um, sort of when you hit that middle part of a first draft and everything starts to sort of slump. And the idea that seemed so brilliant and shiny in your head when you start writing sort of just escapes you a bit or it does me anyway and <laughs> and I find that I really have to push through that middle portion of the first draft and it's it's a confidence thing really I think there's that voice of self-doubt just sort of nagging away at me saying ah oh, this isn't really working and yeah you're really that good a writer maybe you should just put this one to the side <laughs> so it, that's the struggle really and the other part I really don't like is right at the very end where you've done the sort of structural edits and you might have done a copy edit, but then there's like another check and the book comes back to you again. And so you have to read it again. And by at that point, <laughs> you know, you're so sort of worn down by the thing. You can't see it clearly anymore. And there's this fear that, you know, you're going to send it out with a terrible clangor in there or massive typo. And um, yeah, I just, I find that bit really quite boring to having to kind of read it again and again and yeah. again. So it is funny, isn't it? How you go blind to words after a while. You can't even see what's yeah. there. Yeah. And also at that stage, you're probably writing a new book. So mm. you sort of want to just be involved in that and not sort of go keep going back to the old book. It's sort of like you've moved on. It's a new relationship. And it's like you've <laughs> got to go and visit your ex-boyfriend again. <laughs> oh, God, he keeps popping back it, exactly. up. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, so annoying. Yeah. Well, I mean, as ex-boyfriends go, the search parties are pretty good one, at least. So <laughs> how was the editing process for it? What did it... I mean, also... I would imagine going from writing in lockdown to coming out of lockdown and releasing it, like your life will change in the span of a three-year period. Yeah. So it, did that change how you read it coming in later? Um, not so much because it's not, because it's a sort of locked peninsula mystery and it's sort of set mm. in its very own contained space and time. Fortunately, it wasn't that influenced by anything. I mean, I, yeah. I did have a question with the editor about, you know, should I reference the lockdown at any point in this book? Has it influenced any of the characters? And in the end, we were like, ah, let's just leave it out. No one wants to think about that yeah. anymore. Um, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so no, nothing changed dramatically. And actually, the editorial process on this one was relatively straightforward. I mean, structurally, it was kind of all in place when I submitted it. And yeah, it was quite a smooth process. The, the tricky thing was it's being published in America, Canada and Australia 
all at the same time. So I had different editors in different countries coming back to me with different suggestions and changes. And, and that was hard to sort of juggle everyone's opinions and try and come up with one draft that satisfied everybody. So that that was the oh, tricky blimey. point. Yeah, yeah, God, I bet. Wow. And with you saying about that that middle dip point, which, by the way, many of the other guests we've had on have said the exact same thing. Yeah, so you're not alone in that yeah. that wall, the runner's wall you hit with your writing. Do you write in in chronological order? Do you write a flow, or do you just kind of jump between chapters as and when? I tend to try and write chronologically, particularly with a book like this where the point of view shifts all the time. Mm. Because I think if I was darting around too much, I would lose control of the whole story. So it helps me to know, okay, what do I need to, what scene do I need to show next? And who's the best person to tell it? And then it kind of naturally unfolds. But having said that, when I get stuck, I found the best way to kind of kickstart the book is to think about a scene. It might be not in chronological order. It might be a little way further up, or it might even be the ending. And if I can't write where I'm at, at that point in the story, I would jump ahead and write a scene that I'm more excited to write. And then I've kind of got something to aim towards. So that's a trick yeah. that I've learned. And I, I find that really helpful. To re-engage you in the, in the story and get you back into it. Yeah, because you don't want to sit and write a scene that's boring you because you'll end up writing a boring scene and then everyone that's reading it will be like, this is really boring. So it's better yeah. to write the bits that you're excited about and then work out how they're all going to fit together. But I find it an easier process if I'm writing chronologically, definitely. Yeah. And as you say, you've got multiple voices in this book. Which voice did you enjoy writing in the most? There were two characters that really sort of drove the book for me. And in fact, at that point that I mentioned where I got really sort of disheartened by the whole thing and, and actually I did start writing a different book because I was that fed up with it really? and really thought it was going nowhere. There were two characters that just kept sort of popping into my head and sort of nagging me to keep going. And they were Kip, the um, boy who is um, the adopted son of Annie, who I've already mentioned, and Max. And also Tanya, who is the sort of glamorous second wife of one of the male characters. And she's sort yeah. of fish out of water in this glamping site and not really part of the social group that that are gathering and so she's very much an outsider. And I really liked her sort of spiky attitude and the fact that she just didn't fit. And um, so between her and Kip, they were the sort of sections that I really loved to revisit and, and jump in on. Yeah, that's also a really interesting thing as well. When you have this group of friends that's known each other for 20 plus years, and then you have the people on the periphery that are brought into that dynamic and how they all relate together. Again, like it was a really interesting to hear those external voices as well as those internal ones because yeah. they're coming in with fresh eyes on these characters. Absolutely. And, and they've making, got their own yeah. opinions and they're going to give them. Yeah. Um, but th I thought that was an interesting theme actually to play around with the kind of idea of insiders mm. and outsiders and inside versus outside. And of course, none of them are really inside in the whole book, apart from there's a couple of scenes in the farmhouse. But because they're yeah. outside, they're very much at the mercy of the elements but they're also at the mercy of sort of external forces, whether they're outsiders coming into the group or, yeah, their own sort of internal desires that are bursting out in this in this landscape. Oh, so many layers to it, Hannah. Well, I make it sound good. <laughs> they, sound, they sound very good. I think you know what you're doing, you know, at this point. <laughs> so that's good. 
And we were discussing before we started recording about, because you've got a beautiful display of books behind you on your shelf. And we're talking about all the proof she gets sent. I'm just curious because I'm always trying to add to my ever-growing TBR because apparently, you know, I can't punish myself enough <laughs> with the guilt of not reading the ones I have. What was the last book that you read and loved? Uh, so I'm really enjoying the crime series by Amelia Hall. Oh. So I don't know if you know Amelia Hall, but she is the most beautiful writer and she's written different genre books, sort of more kind of literary fiction. And um, she's steered recently into a sort of more of a cosy crime direction, but it's so beautifully written and she's got this set of characters. The series is called The Shell House Detectives. And I've just read her second book, which is The Harbour Lights Mystery. And it's set Ooh. in Cornwall, interestingly. And the one yeah. I've just read was set in Cornwall at Christmas. And I read it sort of around Christmas time. And it was just Ugh. the perfect book to sort of curl up with on the sofa in front of the fire and just lose myself in. And um, I think what Amelia does brilliantly is not just sort of a cracking crime story, but it's the characters she draws and the way she makes you fall in love with them, basically. So you have this really deep empathy for each of her characters and um, it really draws you through her stories. But but her writing is just so lovely that, um, yeah, I think everyone, they haven't discovered Amelia Hall yet, really should because she sort of speaks to that Richard Osman market, you know, that sort right. of slightly more gentle crime. But there's, there's definitely darkness there too because I like a dark book. and. Um, yeah, so Amelia is the one I would suggest everyone runs out and puts on their TBR pile. That sounds like a great recommendation. And so it's funny how cosy crime seems to be really having a moment right now. I don't know if it's because the last few years have been so brutal. Yeah. <laughs> that people want a gentle I think that's version, true. I think but... people want books that feel, you know, maybe a tiny bit nostalgic, but also just, mm. you know, a little edgy but safe. You know, I don't think we want yes. to be too far out of our comfort zone at the moment. No, I think at the end of the day, it's still it's still a crime. It's still a murder happening yeah. as cozy as you can make a murder. Well, exactly. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, no, that sounds fantastic. I'm going to have to check that one out. Do you tend to read mostly crime or do you read outside of the genre? No, I, I read really widely, actually. I, I, I read anything. Mainly, <laughs> I mean, other books I've loved recently are, you know, books that everyone will have heard of, like Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, which was amazing. I love Lisa Jules newest one um mm. and demon copperhead i think is amazing so i'll i'll kind of read whatever catches my eye but obviously having moved into the crime world myself i'm very interested to sort of read and explore what's happening currently in the genre and to see kind of what's working but there's yeah. so much good stuff out there i mean oh. there's so many good books it's it's kind of a bit overwhelming so um yeah, uh, absolutely. And they're more coming out all the time. Yeah, yeah. You can never get ahead. I think my husband once said that they should just, everyone as a world, we should make anything for a whole year, <laughs> nothing new for a whole year to give everyone a chance to catch up yeah. on all the, that stuff. And then they start again and we could do it cyclically. But you know what would happen in that one year? All the people who are painters or writers or doing anything creative, they'd keep going. So at the end of the year, you just have this huge, overwhelming influx of amazingness again. 
Oh, that's what we, make, we have to make everyone promise. <laughs> promise nothing new because we need to catch up. But yeah, oh, it's yeah, it's a it's a lovely problem to have, though, isn't it? Yeah. Just so much amazingness in the world and creativity. Well, that's it. There's nothing better than going into a bookshop or a library and just scanning the shelves and being inspired. So yeah. Yeah. And especially, as you say, the move towards for you into like the crime writing world. And it's such a wonderful community of writers as well. Have you found how have you found that that journey into the crime world? Yeah. That sounds like you're in some sort of mafia kind of setting. I mean, like I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Mysterious. No, it's it's amazing because, you know, having written in a different genre, it's really interesting to sort Mm. of drop into a new one and discover there's this whole other world that I didn't know about. And what I've noticed is that other writers are so generous, you know, in terms of reading your work or, you know, just sort of putting an arm around you, whether it's sort of online or, or literally at a festival. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a really warm and friendly environment. Um, I was up at Harrogate last summer, which was incredible. Me too. Oh, were you? Oh, you. yeah. Yeah. So that was my... This year, I'll find you. Yes, definitely, Frankie. <laughs> that was my first time at Harrogate and I just couldn't believe the atmosphere there. It was mm. incredible. But also like the book blogging community and the reviewers and the booksellers. I mean, everyone's just got this real passion for it. And um, it's a complete thrill, really, to sort of be stepping into it and to sort of be part of it now. Yeah, oh, it's it's very unique, the crime writing community. I, I've spoken to authors that have written in other genres as well. And they all say that crime, the crime writing community is quite unique in that way. Very welcoming, very warm, which is interesting considering everyone writes about murder and killing it's strange day. isn't it you it's, think everyone would be a yeah. bit like you know skulking around in shadows and not speaking to anyone <laughs> but it's really not like that planning d- their demising <laughs> of their enemies and things like that yeah no everyone's super lovely to the point where even at Harrogate as you say there are often authors from other genres that don't write crime they just yeah. want to come and be a part yeah of it. no it's really fun if anyone hasn't been yeah. and uh has been thinking about it I highly recommend they go next year yeah this year. oh yeah it's great this year now isn't it yeah I know. I wrote 2023 on something earlier. I have no idea what, what's going on, but it's, it's all happened too soon. But no, I completely agree. Harrogate is a, a very unique experience. Even if you aren't a writer, just as a fan of books, yeah. there's so much you can take in from that. Yeah. And so. the other amazing thing about it is that after the events, you get to ha- go and hang out in the bar and everyone's mixing. And so it's yeah. you know writers and readers and booksellers and everyone just hanging out in the bar, which is yeah. great fun. Yeah, it really is. And just watch everyone get progressively drunker <laughs> and then it's a very entertaining entertaining evening to watch <laughs> so you're going this year as well yeah I hope so I haven't booked my tickets yet but um, I've just been talking to some writer friends about possibly sharing some accommodation up there so we need to need to get organized I know people get really super like on it so yeah 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 I, I got I always get the fear like right after like last year everyone's like I've booked my hotel already yeah I was like, oh okay I'll book mine then I guess (laughs) it is a bit terrifying yeah no there are some other great festivals kind of popping up as well like Capital Crime was really good last year as well and loads of new ones popping up it's just exciting it's so exciting to see that even though book people tend to be quite introverted yeah that these events can really bring you out of yourself and encourage that community 100% yeah Hannah, I'm really sorry. This is the part of the podcast where I have to actually confront you about something quite serious. Okay. (laughs) I'm scared. Mm, You should be, Hannah, because you know what I'm talking about here. Unfortunately, you have committed a terrible, heinous crime. (laughs) Good. That's exciting. Yep. (laughs) Good. At least you're not, no remorse. Okay. I see why this is where this is going. So terrible, so heinous, so disturbing in nature was your crime. 
Hannah Ritchell, that unfortunately you have been sentenced to death. Yikes. Yeah, not great. Um, what what crime do you think you've committed to get to this point? Oh gosh, that's a good question. I'm a bit mm, squeamish. Confess. Yeah, no, I'm a bit squeamish. <laughs> so I don't think it would have been anything too kind of serial killery. Okay. Probably just a mild poisoning, but I guess if I'm on death row, it's got to <laughs> not be that mild. <laughs> a few few people poisoned, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, quite a few mild poisonings. Yeah. Major poisoning. <laughs> okay. Great. Wow. Do you know what? I love a good old fashioned poisoning. You know, yeah, it's more I can't go wrong. Kind of classy Agatha Christie territory. Yep. Classic of the genre, yes. really. Let's stay and, there. Yeah. And and a classic for the woman, apparently. A favoured method yeah, of that's dispatching one's enemies. Yeah. Mm. Okay, we'll go with poison. More hands off, I think, aren't we, as a as a gender? <laughs> yeah, I don't really want to have yeah, be stabbing anyone. No. That's, no. Let's no. not go there. Poisoning. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay, so you've committed several major poisonings that unfortunately <laughs> led to you being sentenced to death. Really sorry about that. I'm sure they deserved it, but yeah. unfortunately it's not my choice. Okay. But some good news for you, Hannah. It's not all bad. I can get you the death row meal of your dreams. <laughs> so it's all kind of worth it, right? Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> I mean, to get a really good meal out of it. There's got to be some upside, so I'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. And this, I, I promise, poison-free meal. That's my guarantee to you okay. today. Amazing. So, what would your death row meal be? I think it would have to be either like a mega banquet, you know, like you Ooh. get in um, a Chinese restaurant or nice. a sort of degustation menu at a really fancy Michelin star restaurant. And the reason I would do that is because you can keep the food coming because it's kind of, you know, one of those... Oh, and there's another course and there's another course or, you know, go and get more. So whether it's mm. quality or quantity, I don't really mind. It's more about dragging <laughs> out the time. Yeah, delaying the inevitable. Delay the inevitable. So I think for me, that's what I would do. And probably if I had a choice and the budget was there, then I'd go for the slightly fancier option. Do you have a, a particular restaurant in mind for that that we could bring in? I hadn't thought of a particular one, but I do love MasterChef. So maybe I'd go... I wouldn't go, obviously, because I'm on death row. I'm not allowed yeah. here. But <laughs> I would order from, um, yeah, maybe like Marcus Waring's restaurant or um, Monica's restaurant or, you know, one of those amazing top, yeah. top chefs. Do you know what? Let's, let's bring them all in. They could do a course each. You yeah. can do like the Great British Menu. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a, a very new, worthy course. <laughs> maybe it's a new show. It's like death row <gasps> last dinners or something. <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> come on. In the true crime world that we live in, that would be... That would sell. Yeah, I don't you think? Chefs cooking for death row inmates. Death row meals. <laughs> it's like Jamie Oliver went into those schools and got rid of their turkey Twizzlers. Like this could be them going into death row oh, I love prisons it. and be like, look, let's spruce this up and give you a really nice I love it because we don't exit. know, you know, they may have paid their taxes. They may deserve a really decent meal. Yeah. Oh, sorry, they, yeah. I, I might. You <laughs> deserve a decent meal after all those poisonings. Also, a lot of effort going into that many. Yeah, so well done. Exactly. <laughs> Credit where it's due. Okay, brilliant. And do you have any, no specific meals within those courses that you think, oh, I'd love to have a bit of that on my last day alive? Probably quite a lot of um, puddings, lots of pudding courses, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, you sweet tooth. Yeah, unfortunately. Trying not to be, <laughs> but yeah, it, it catches me out. Life is hard and short, so you might as well have a nice have dessert. Sugar. Yeah. yeah, especially if you're about to be executed for murder. That's true. That's very true. Mm. No guilt. Okay. Any 
lots of lots of desserts, no standouts. I really like food, so I'm really pushing this. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm feeling it. I'm feeling your yeah. your passion here. Um <laughs> Thank you. Maybe a really decent chocolate mousse or a nice. um, tiramisu or a lemon tart, you know, maybe all of them. One of each. Yeah. 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 I do love it on a, re- a restaurant menu where they'll do like mini desserts and you can get a few little mini yes. ones. You see, that's, that's a genius, isn't it? As well. Also, and I think I've talked about it on here before, and I'm going to just co- trademark it in case anybody's going to steal my idea. Dessert tapas. Oh, I like that. Why is that not a restaurant that does dessert tapas? Yeah, that's a very good idea. Maybe we could tag that onto our... Our new TV show. Yes. Yeah. Yes, there we go. Oh, coming up with all these wow. good ideas. This has been a very efficient interview, isn't it? Very, pro, very productive. We've got some irons in the fire. It's going to be, I mean, it's a shame we have to kill you now because this could have been a really good partnership we forged here. But unfortunately, I've, you've had many, many courses, lots of lovely dessert. But unfortunately, we have, you have come to the end of your courses. And I'm so sorry that you have now been put to death. Okay. I accept my punishment. It, what a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. So you can't do the crime and not do the time. But more good news, question mark, more silver lining, shall we say, is that we will bury you with the book of your choice, though. So whatever you believe, whether you're taking that to the afterlife with you or whether you just want to look cool when you're dug up and they find something nice in your coffin, (laughs) whatever your interpretation of it is, what book would you be buried with? This, again, is such a good question and it really puzzled me so that sort of know what (laughs) what to choose. And one of my thoughts was that I could just put all my diaries that I keep in with me because then they're sort of hidden and no one will read them, which would be excruciating. (laughs) But I think a better choice might be a book that I absolutely love, which is a poetry book by Mary Oliver called Devotions. And I absolutely love, I don't read a lot of poetry, but I love Mary Oliver's poems. And it's such a beautiful book and it's just so full of wisdom and kindness and love and humanity. So I figured if I was dug up, and they found that book, they'd probably know that A, I was quite a nice person. They might mistake me for Mary Oliver, which would be no bad thing. Yeah. And worse comes to worse, I thought if I was accidentally buried and I wasn't actually dead, it's a pretty hefty book. So it would be a good one to sort of bash on the lid with and uh, let people know that I was actually still alive and maybe they could let me out. So it kind of, oh, you know, all purpose. Yeah, you've really, that's very, very good use of a book space. Well done. That's great. You've got a lot of options there. And also, even if you can't, I mean, we'll also put a little reading light in there. There you go. I'll be happy. At least you can read. Exactly. If you don't. Yeah. Oh, well, Hannah, it's been such a delight to chat to you. Thank you so much for coming on. The search party's out now, isn't it? Well, as of time I'm releasing it, it will be out now. Yes. Yeah, it's. Yeah, out this week as we chat. So yes, it will be. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. And available in all good bookshops, I assume. Yes, it should be. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Fantastic. And where can people follow you online? So I am most active on Instagram and my um, handle there is at Hannah Ritchell. Very straightforward. I'm also on Facebook um, and I think I'm Hannah Ritchell author there. And I have a website, which is hannahritchell.com. So I'm quite easy to track down after those. Um, oh, my plant's just fallen over. Given, <laughs> given oh. that, I don't know if you heard that. <laughs> no, I didn't. Is it all right? <laughs> uh, no, it looks like it might be dead. 
Oh, didn't you? Poison. Well, poisoning. Successful, though. Congrats. Yeah. So, anyway, I'm easy to track down at any of those places. Fantastic. And as I, I recommend your Instagram because, as I say, you've got not only beautiful atmospheric photos of coastlines, but you also have a gorgeous dog. Oh, yes, And Ted. that to me. Oh, Ted. Ted. He's a bit mad, but he's beautiful. So, yeah, that's, oh. yeah. And, and and the cat as well, right? I could see them interacting. Yes. So the cat's Sydney and Ted's the dog and they surprisingly love each other, which is really great because you sort of have grand ambitions when you introduce two pets that they're going to love each other, <laughs> but it doesn't always work. But they're, they're good pals. So that's that's really lovely. And now we've got the new plot of a children's book. Yes. Yes, we do. Ted and Sydney. Yes. Oh. Well, this has been a really productive meeting. Hasn't it? Very creative. <laughs> All the ideas. Very good. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, Frankie. It's been really fun to chat. Well, pleasure's all mine. And thank you to everybody who's listening. Please go and buy The Search Party and follow Hannah everywhere. And you can also follow Red and Buried on pretty much all the social channels or you can email us at redandburypodcast at gmail.com. And I'll be back very soon. Hannah, another thing is I never know how to end these podcasts, especially now that I'm on my own. How do we end this thing? <laughs> Should we just say bye? Like Classic. Bye. <laughs> How would you like to challenge your little grey cells while revelling in the vintage perfection of David Suchet's Poirot? If so, then the Labours of Hercule podcast was made for you. We're taking a deep dive into every episode of this masterpiece of television and giving you the clues you need to solve the case along with Poirot himself. We present the case and you solve it. Whether you're a detective in the making... Or if you just simply want to gush over the genius and art decodence of Agatha Christie... Then subscribe now now to the Labours of Hercule wherever you get your podcasts.